I would like to give thanks to the ancestors, known and unknown, those who have paved the way for us to survive this moment of time and to have a reference point to use as a blueprint to deal with these hellish times we are living in. I would also like to give honor and reverence to the woman of the universe for your superior work, for bringing forth the spiritual information through the triple stage of darkness of your womb and giving birth to God. We would like to give reverence to the universe and praises to the indigenous. My name is Raheem Shabazz and this is Necessary Blackness Podcast. Necessary Blackness Podcast is independently owned and we do not accept sponsorship dollars from corporations. We are supported by the people such as yourself who know that in war, the first casualty is the truth. We are at war with racism and white supremacy. We must continue to tell the truth. Support us by purchasing your Necessary Blackness t-shirt by sending an email to NecessaryBlacknessPodcast at gmail.com. Check out MCJ, MusicCultureJournalism.com. Hip-hop is a global movement reaching all aspects of music, culture, and journalism. MCJ is the premier destination for culture-driven video and editorial content around the country. Check out MusicCultureJournalism.com. Log on today. Wingy Apparel is the latest fly and revolutionary streetwear to hit the market. Wingy is the outfitters of freedom fighters everywhere. Wingy is a Swahili word that means abundance. No one has ever gone broke by giving. So if you have it in abundance, sharing is better than receiving. Follow us on Instagram at Wingy Apparel. That's at W-I-N-G-I-A-P-P-A-R-E-L. Necessary Blackness Podcast, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. with award-winning journalist and filmmaker Raheem Shabazz. This podcast is only for those who are unapologetic because the mind of the conscious man or woman recognize no monopoly on truth. Truth is relative and always to be sought. Peace and Black Power family. This is your host, Raheem Shabazz, and we are here for another episode of Necessary Blackness podcast. And I want to just start out by saying that, yes, I have been missing in action. This is our first podcast for 2020. However, I've been making a lot of progress behind the scenes. I have several different business ventures that um, I am heavily involved in. So sometimes I have to take a break and handle my business. But nevertheless, I have been getting emails. I've been getting texts and phone calls saying, yo, Rob, what's up? Where's the podcast, brother? So I decided to do one today and, you know, chop it up and, and kick it with the family. I know everybody out there and enjoying themselves. Uh, We just celebrated the birthday of Martin Luther King. We're going to get into that. And since we're going to be talking about Martin Luther King, we need to also talk about how mainstream media is turning his dream into a nightmare. So we're going to talk about the failure of integration and the rise of black consciousness. 
because mainstream media likes to paint Martin Luther King as this passive, nonviolent integrationist, when in reality, he was opposed to integration in his last years. Uh, one of his quotes that I'm very fond of is when he said, we fought hard and long for integration as I believe we should, but I come to believe that we're integrating into a burning house. That's the words of Martin Luther King. So we're going to get into all that right here on Necessary Blackness Podcast with your host, Raheem Shabazz. But before we get into that, family, let's talk about what's going on in black society. I want to talk about film and entertainment industry. Now, there is a film that's out by Tyler Perry called Fall from Grace, and I would describe it as a romantic thriller. Now, there's a lot of people that is very critical of this film. I watched it myself, and I must say that I did enjoy it. Yes, I did. But there are people that expect Tyler Perry to do a movie on Mansar Musa or Tucson Overture when that's not who he is. Tyler Perry caught a lot of flack for his uh, Medea character. And y'all said that Medea had to go. So he retired the Medea character and um, he brought us Fall from Grace. But it seems that that ain't good enough for some folks. And they don't seem to recognize it as entertainment and value it as such. And see it for what it is and not what it presents itself to be. But there are others who feel that Tyler Perry's movies always contain damsels in distress and that scenario is played out. And they want to know why. Black women have to be played as hurt and harmed by black men as opposed to loving husband and providers. That's a good question. However, I think this was a good movie. Great acting, several plots and twists, and unexpected ending. So I recommend this movie for y'all to go watch. It is currently on Netflix. The movie stars Felicia Rashad, Tyler Perry, Crystal Fox, Cicely Tyson. IMBD gave it a 6 out of 10 star rating. Rotten Tomato have it as 44%. Yes, the critics are killing them. But what does Rotten Tomato know? They're Rotten Tomato. So make sure y'all check out that movie. Another thing that's happened in black society, I don't know if y'all seen this. I posted it on my Twitter page. I also posted it on my Instagram. So if y'all are not following me, I am on Facebook at Raheem Shabazz. I am on Twitter at Raheem Shabazz. And I'm on Instagram at Raheem Shabazz. But anyway, there's a Miami police captain. His name is... Javier Ortiz, and he's accused of rampant racial abuse by several black citizens and either other black employees within the police department. 
So he had to appear at a town hall meeting. And this suspected racist cop said he wasn't racist and he can't be racist because he is black himself. And if you watch this video, you will see that this man is white as snow. He's not black. I think he may be a Hispanic white. I don't know. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to play this audio for you and let you hear the ignorant comment that he made. But you have to see the video to see the reaction of everybody and to actually see this man in his element. And you can clearly see that he is not a black man. Everybody wants to be black until it's time to be black. And it reminds me of a quote from Angela Davis where she says, until the color of your skin is the target, you will never understand. And what a lot of racist white supremacists like to do is say they have black friends so they can't be racist or that they are half white and half black. Come on, man. Stop it. Stop it. We know your intentions. But check out this audio. And we'll be right back after this. We're going to talk about integration, the dream that Martin Luther King had. And we're going to go through a little bit of history and talk about why integration is a failure in the rise of black consciousness. Stay tuned. She loves to, you know, she loves to call me a Latin male. I'm a black male. Yes, I am. And I am non-Hispanic. I was born in this country. That's how I feel. I have a question for you. Sure. So you classify yourself today as a black male. Yes. When you applied for the police department, did you classify yourself as a black male or a white male at the time? I think I put white male. I don't know if, I, well, I know I put white male, but I don't know if I put Hispanic. No, I know, listen, I know who I am, but it's and also, you, you it's also to make. Male. I'm sorry? You put down Hispanic male, didn't you? Okay. As when, a man, I stand by when it. When did you have this, uh, you know, uh, coming to, uh, with God moment that uh, you were black. When did God tell you that? Well, I learned that there's people in my family that are mixed and that are black. I see. Let's, just, let's not talk about the degree of blackness. Oh, no, you're blacker than me. That's obvious. And if you know anything about the one. <laughs> that is the end of the clip. But I must say. Everybody wants to be black until it's really time to be black. And right now is probably the best time for everybody to be black. We're living in a very peculiar moment in time and history. Did y'all see the picture of the black woman delivering the articles of impeachment for a white racist supremacist president? And she was delivering these impeachment papers to the Senate. And she was doing it actually on Martin Luther King's birthday. That is a sight to see. That is an iconic picture that's going to be historical. And it's going to be talked about in years to come. Trust me. Remember, I told y'all and I said this. 
So let's get right down to it. Let's talk about the failure of integration and the rise of black consciousness because that's where we at right now in this day and in this time we are raising the consciousness and the vibrational pitch of our people. We got to raise that frequency family. So I want to go back in time, go back in history. But before I go back and do that, right, I already know that the proverbial question is asked is, uh, have we gained anything since being integrated in white society? Some will say we made progress, but still have a long way to go. Me personally, I believe that we're still counted as livestock and deemed a commodity. But the only difference is instead of slaves that stamped on us is the word prisoner, inmate, convict, and those who are arrested, convicted, and sentenced to jail are traded on the stock market. It's the same thing, different ball game. Same thing. It's just a different terminology. And we covered that extensively in my first documentary, Elementary Genocide, The School to Prison Pipeline. The state-sponsored genocide continues by cruel, power-hungry people that controls the masses through politics and law enforcement. And that's why law enforcement was the apparatus used to bring down black empowerment organizations such as the Black Panthers. Uh, it was law enforcement agencies such as Department of Justice, the FBI, and the CIA that was complicit in the assassination of Martin Luther King. Since it's holiday, let's talk about Martin Luther King. Because the federal government has one of his quotes etched in a building um, headquarters. And they posted that on Twitter. And <laughs> you know, black Twitter went in. Because it is known that the FBI is complicit in his murder. And that's what they will do to you. They will murder you and then honor you with a holiday and turn your dream into a nightmare and have mainstream media put out a message that you was this cheek-turning, integration-loving, passive individual. When in reality, Martin Luther King... Uh, in his last dying days, was opposed to integration. He was fighting for justice for the poor and the marginalized. He was against the Korean War. He was against militarism and the over-policing of black individuals. So with this narrative that the FBI is trying to paint and honor him, I hope y'all see through it. I know, I know the majority of people see through it. And what we have to do is anytime that shit come across our timeline, we have to push back on it, laugh at it, make mockery of it, but at the same time put forth the truth of what really happened and honor Martin Luther King not as this pacifist that they want us to recognize, but as a revolutionary hero to black people all around the world. So I, I want to get into the whole notion of integration. And in order to do that, 
I want to go back past um, the landmark ruling of Brown versus Board of Education uh, in 1954. Because we can go back to the 1940s where we had the Negro League, the baseball leagues. You have the Baltimore Elite Giants, the Newark Eagles, the Indianapolis Clowns, the Kansas City Monarchs, and these was the top-tier baseball teams in the Negro League. Now, this was before the Brooklyn Dodgers signed Jackie Robinson. He actually played for, I think it was the Baltimore Elite Giants before he was actually um, signed to the Brooklyn Dodgers. And one of the things that happened is that Major League Baseball was cherry-picking black players that they could sign, and they was taking the best of the best. So that left the Negro Leagues with less than subpar talent. So what essentially happens, just say, for instance, let's use analysis of modern day time with the hip-hop movement. So I know most of y'all can understand that. Kanye West, Jay-Z, they're on Def Jam Records. They don't sign a contract or renew their contract with Def Jam Records, and they're the star players on this record label. They decide to go to Live Nation. Now, their fans and their followers is going to go with them to Live Nation. And in return, Def Jam roster is going to be diminished because of their star players left and went to Live Nation. Same thing happened with uh, the Negro League in baseball. One of the things that a lot of people don't know is that when they was acquiring these black players, buy them out of the contract and they would say whatever contract you have with the Negro League is not an void because it wasn't a legitimate business because it was a black business and essentially what that did was really was the death of the Negro League when a lot of the star players started going to the Major League Baseball because you got to remember that these teams was known to donate to charity and social cause and they was the financial arm of the black community because their stadiums was in the black community. And you had ushers, you had drivers, you had people that worked in the stadium, people that um, worked the concession stand. So it, it provided a lot of jobs for those that, that was in the community. The death of the Negro League began with the signing of Jackie Robinson. You can see that in the movie 42, based on his life, he was the first one to break the color barrier and sign to a major league. But what a lot of people don't know is that Jackie Robinson wasn't the most talented player in the Negro League. There was other players that had exceptional talent and that was highly respected and was deemed a better player than Jackie Robinson. The difference was Jackie Robinson was handpicked 
by uh, the manager of the uh, Dodgers because he felt that he was young, he was articulate, and he could be a role model. And he was an individual that would do what his white handlers told him to do and wouldn't uh, buck the system. See, this is a strategic tactic by a lot of these uh, racist white supremacists. The same thing happened with um, Rosa Parks. We say she integrated the bus system, which is not true. There was a young sister, um, can't recall her name right now. I think it was Claudette a Claudine or something like that to that effect that was actually the first person arrested for uh, refusing to give up her seat. But the reason why the NAACP didn't take on her case and have her as the face of the cause to integrate the bus system is because she was young, she was pregnant out of wedlock, and in their eyes, that wouldn't have been a good look. So... You got to understand the strategic tactics that are being used to integrate certain institutions in society. And you got to question, why is it being done? Is it fully beneficial to black society as a whole? I'm not talking about a few uh, rich billionaires and millionaires. I'm talking about black society as a whole. If those that was a part of the civil rights era looked at what happened to the Negro League and used that as a cautionary tale, I think we wouldn't be in the position that we are in now. Because when they started signing a lot of black players and trying to acquire uh, black players, there was a meeting that took place where the Negro League sat at a table and wanted to negotiate their teams becoming a part of Major League Baseball. It's because you had teams in certain geographical locations that was bigger than Major League Baseball, where they didn't have teams in that area and their following was bigger. So they wanted to negotiate, okay, we'll become a part of the league, our team, will become a part of the league. It will be great for baseball. We have a big following. We're already successful. The stadium is always sold out. They said, nope, we're not doing it because they wanted power. We're dealing with individuals that have a greed and a lust for power. Now, today is a little bit different. <laughs> they won't just buy you out. They'll rather do business with you and make money with you. But in the end, it's always in their favor. You can be a part of the business. They may even make you a partial owner, but you will never own the majority stocks in the business. And what stocks you do have, they will buy them out, buy you and your business out. And more times than not, a lot of us sell out to these white corporations, BET, uh, Def Jam. Several individuals reach a certain level of success and they sell their business for whatever reason. And they don't keep it as a black institution that can stand the test of time and become a legacy that can be passed down to their children's children and grandchildren. To further illustrate how white corporations do business with individuals 
who are black. We can go to Michael Jordan, who is worth $1.9 million. But the bulk of his income is not from Nike, but from his stake in the Charlotte Hornets. It's reported that he owns 90% stake in the Charlotte Hornet franchise. Some people listed as 97%. But what is not told to you is that he doesn't even own the rights to the Jumpman logo. That is owned by Nike. Nike sells $2.5 billion worth of Air Jordans a year. Now, how much stock does Michael Jordan own in Nike? That we will probably never know because it is not listed. There was a recent case with Michael Jordan against Safeway where they used his uh, image, likeness, and logo, and he sued them, and they're currently in court. Uh, They tried to subpoena the pages of the contract that Michael Jordan has with Nike. And this is a 42-page document that is stored in its own room with only three Nike employees globally that have access to this document. So this is a safeguarded secret of how much interest and stock he owns in Nike. But one thing that we do know is that he's not a majority owner in the stock, but he brings them $2.5 billion a year. You would think that he owns a majority share in this company, but he doesn't. Not that he don't have the money to buy in, to own these shares. White society will not sell him those interests. It's all about domination, control, and greed when you're dealing with them. There's no fair handshake. (laughs) There's no fair dealings with these people. Okay, real quickly, family, we're going to go to a commercial break, and we'll be right back. This is Raheem Shabazz of Necessary Blackness Podcast. Stay tuned. Check out MCJ, musicculturejournalism.com. Hip-hop is a global movement reaching all aspects of music, culture, and journalism. MCJ is the premier destination for culture-driven video and editorial content around the country. Check out musicculturejournalism.com. Log on today. Wingy Apparel is the latest fly and revolutionary streetwear to hit the market. Wingy is the outfitters of freedom fighters everywhere. Wingy is a Swahili word that means abundance. No one has ever gone broke by giving. So if you have it in abundance, sharing is better than receiving. Follow us on Instagram at Wingy Apparel. That's at W-I-N-G-I-A-P-P-A-R-E-L. Persons interested in broadcasting a commercial can reach us via email at necessaryblacknesspodcast at gmail.com. Necessary Blackness is distributed on all major podcast platforms iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, SoundCloud, Podomatic, and Google Play. We'll also promote your business and product across our various social media networks, reaching over 100,000 people daily. 
the creators of Elementary Genocide Part 1, The School to Prison Pipeline, and Part 2, The Board of Education versus The Board of Incarceration, present the third installment, Academic Holocaust. Each film produced, directed, and personally funded by writer Raheem Shabazz. Hollywood Chronicles says the documentary Elementary Genocide turns a critical eye towards the dehumanizing educational environment that criminalizes black and brown youth by funneling them from schools to prisons. If you've learned anything, shared any content, or have received any value from the Elementary Genocide brand, you're going to love Elementary Genocide 3, featuring the likes of Kaba Kemi, David Banner, Shahad Razad Ali, Michael M. Hotep, and Professor James Small. To help spread this important message to the masses, visit elementarygenocide.com. That's elementarygenocide.com. Please share our cause with your family and friends. Necessary Blackness Podcast every Wednesday at 6 p.m. with award-winning journalist and filmmaker Raheem Shabazz. This podcast is only for those who are unapologetic because the mind of the conscious man or woman recognizes no monopoly on truth. Truth is relative and always to be sought. Yes, family, we are back from our quick commercial break and we are talking about the failure of integration and the rise of black consciousness. And before we decided to join the social order of American society and integrate, we had our own banks, insurance agencies, doctor's office, law firms, department stores, banks, barbershop, shoe repair shops, and so many other businesses that was vibrant in our community. Many people like to look to Greenwood and Tulsa, Oklahoma as an example of black empowerment. When we look at Greenwood, we got to understand that Greenwood was an avenue that had luxury shops, restaurants, grocery stores, hotels, jewelry stores, clothing stores, movie theaters, barbershops, salons, a library, pool hall, nightclub, offices for doctors, lawyers, and dentists. And it even had its own school system, post office, a savings and loan bank, a hospital, a bus and taxi service. And when you read the history book of today, you will find out that over 300 black residents was murdered in Greenwood, Tulsa, Oklahoma, during the riot to take the town from black people. But what is not discussed is that a single individual named O.W. Gurley, who was a wealthy black landowner, purchased 40 acres of land, and he named it Greenwood after a town in Mississippi where he came from. But he purchased these 40 acres, and he built the first black business in Greenwood, and he named the town. Not only that, he invested money and loaned money to other black businesses so that they can get started. So he was the nucleus that set off black empowerment in this one area. So this was one individual that was able to loan money 
to other black businesses so that Greenwood and Tulsa, Oklahoma would come a vibrant economic empowerment and community for black people. That's just one area. Then you have a town in Durham, North Carolina, that was a vibrant community as well. And W.E. Du Bois, when he spoke about this particular area in Durham, North Carolina, he stated, today there's a singular group in Durham where a black man may get up in the morning from a mattress made by a black man in a house which a black man built out of lumber, which a black man cut and planned. He may buy a suit which he bought at a colored store and socks knitted at a colored mill. He may cook food from a colored grocery on a store which a black man fashioned. He may earn his living working for colored men, be sick in a colored hospital, and buried from a colored church. And the Negro Insurance Society will pay his widow enough money to keep his children in school. This is surely progress. This is what W.E.B. Du Bois said about this one town in Durham, North Carolina. Then you had another town in Jackson Ward, Richmond, Virginia. There were so many homes that was owned by blacks. There was uh, black-owned banks, insurance company, and other investment groups. It was so many of them that it was called the birthplace of black capitalism. There was even an entertainment district in this town where Ella Fitzgerald and Duke Ellington frequent. And they called this entertainment area Harlem of the South. The community was not burned down and looted like Tulsa. What happened was an all-white Virginia State Assembly voted to run an interstate, Interstate 95 through the neighborhood, displacing residents and business. The same thing that's happening today, right here in Atlanta, they displace a lot of people so that they can build the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Black businesses was displaced, long-time residents that had property in that area was displaced. A lot of them they gave money to so that they could move, but it was never worth the value of the property. So this is just three, four areas that I know offhand, but there's so many more. Another one that comes to mind is the 4th Avenue District in Birmingham, Alabama, where 60% of black-owned business was within this one district. And all the blacks went down there because Birmingham is, I think it's like 70%, it was 75% black at that time. This is where they all went and, and spent their money. So during that time, they say that in Greenwood, Every dollar would change hands 19 times before it left the community. In 2020, the black dollar doesn't last more than six hours before it leaves our hand and goes into someone else's hands that is not a part of our community. So this is what integration did to us as a people. So family, that's it for me in this episode of Necessary Blackness Podcast. Be sure 
to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Be sure to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Raheem Shabazz. Make sure y'all check out our new selection of wingy apparel. There's hoodies, there's t-shirts, there's crop top hoodies for the females. You can check that out at wingy apparel on Instagram. Also, I'm almost finished with the book. It should be out very soon. I'm trying to get it out for Black History Month. It's called Radical Hope in the 21st Century. Do we cling to our hope or succumb to our fear? It's an anthology. I got a lot of our grandmaster teachers in there. I got a lot of individuals, known and unknown, that are speaking the truth to power and raising the consciousness of our people. I'm going to try to be more consistent with bringing these podcasts to the people. I just need y'all to follow that YouTube page because once we get enough subscribers to our page, we're going to start going live on Instagram. Next week, I'll do a live on Facebook. I've been doing lives on Instagram I need to start doing it on Facebook, but I really want to focus on this YouTube. That's my goal for 2020, to start going live on there so y'all can check me out. And when I do go live, I probably do it like two, three times a week. So you're going to get more of Raheem Shabazz. This is what y'all be telling me in the email. I just got to find the time to do it. But if the man is there, I'm going to show up and show out. So remember, family, when the white man came to America... He came with the Bible and the gun. If he didn't humble you with the Bible, he crumbled you with the gun. And today is no different than yesterday, the day before that. So we got to liberate our minds and physically free ourselves from this yoke of oppression. We live in a world where Martin Luther King stated where Caesar occupies the palace and Jesus was put on a cross. Nothing we can do will change the mindset of these racist white supremacists. We all need to heed the words of Marcus Garvey when he stated, be black, buy black, think black, and everything else will take care of itself. My name is Raheem Shabazz, and this is my conclusion of this episode of Necessary Blackness Podcast, and I'll see you next week, same time, same place. Make sure you subscribe, share, and comment. Peace. Tune in for the drop. I am Dr. Kira Taylor, and when I'm tired of listening to fake news, I will listen to some real news, and I will check in to the Necessary Blackness Podcast with my friend Raheem Shabazz. Raheem Shabazz is one of my guys from way back, and you're now listening to his show, Necessary Blackness Podcast. Stay tuned. This is a cool up cultivated roots media, and I choose to tune in to Necessary Blackness because staying connected to my blackness is very necessary. This is Shirley. When I'm not in the gym, I'm checking my son out on his podcast. Make sure you check out Raheem Shabazz. Yeah, this is Professor Ed Garns. When I am not spreading liberation theology throughout my classrooms as an African-centered therapist, I am chilling with my homie, Raheem Shabazz, on a Necessary Blackness podcast.
It's essential. Yo, that's what I'm talking about, man. You'll hear it here first. <laughs>